0: Jesus, a historical person, be something that doesn't exist? If you are someone who believes that there may be a deity, maybe deities, maybe gods and goddesses, whatever, and then you hear me say that Jesus is this one God of the Bible, you may say, so what? You know, and what does that mean to me? Or maybe you're someone who, who believes that this Bible is true, or may, maybe a, a, at least a portion of it is true, or maybe you believe in this one sovereign king of the universe, but you've got a question. How can Jesus, a, a man, a historical man who walked 2,000 years ago and died, how can he be that God? Maybe it's even, how dare you say that he is that God? Now These are very important questions, and if you have them, or these concerns, you have them, please, we'd love to speak to you about them. Any of the believers here would love to to hear that. We are called to to be ready to make a defense for the hope that's within us when you you ask. But I'm going to tell you right now that this sermon is not going to settle any of those questions, probably for you. Um, uh, Matter of fact, you probably will have more questions if you're in one of those groups when you leave than you have right now. I hope so. Um, and if you do, we want to talk to you. But today, I think this message, it's interesting. Again, I didn't expect uh, to, 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 to be commissioned uh, today. But, but I think that this, the message that, that came uh, this week as, as, as I look through here is one that, that speaks to a different role of the pastor, the role to equip the saints, to build up the church, so that we can do the ministry. So this is a message uh, to believers. I think there's important messages for all. Uh, there always are whenever we open up the Bible. But this is aimed towards those who believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And the question that should arise out of that then, if, if Jesus is God, what does that mean for me in the way that I live my life? And so to do, do this, we've gone to a, a traditional Advent passage. Right? Uh, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, it's, it's page 809 on, on the Red uh, Bi- Pew Bibles. If you don't have your own copy of Scripture, we would love for you uh, t- to, to take this one home uh, and, and have it. But Matthew chapter 1, uh, you've heard it, but I'm going to read it one more time here, starting at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We're going to talk today about the God that comes to us. We see that in this passage that while Jesus is unique, he is far from simple. Just as we learned that he fulfills the three different offices, prophet, priest, and king, he also comes with several titles. In this, we see at least inferences, if not outright claims to his title as son of God, son of man, as God who saves, and God with us says that which was, is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God right? with prophets of like Isaiah and Nathan and Huldah and Ezekiel and uh, all them they, they spoke with the authority of God, but they were still imperfect and finite humans. Aaron and Melchizedek they spoke or they, they intermediated they, you know, they, as priests. They, with God, as, 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 as mediators with God, right, and, and roles as priests. David and Solomon, they, they ruled with his authority, but they were all just these imperfect, finite humans. But Jesus is not just God's representative on earth, one who speaks as a prophet, ministers as a priest, rules as a king. No, Jesus is the very Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, the one of whom the prophets spoke. The, the priest represented the one who inherits all the kingdoms. As David says in Psalm 2, you, you are, are the, I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And Jesus himself claims this special status of sonship several times in the, in the gospel. He not only refers to God, his Father, but he says that he will return one day. He says this in Mark 8. He will return one day in the glory of his Father with the heavenly angels. And yet in the gospels, the most common way that Jesus refers to himself is not son of God, but son of man. And so we see that his divine parentage is important, right? It's confirmed in the text today that he's conceived by the Holy Spirit. There's this emphasis on his humanity. He says, she will bear a son. Paul later writes in, in Galatians, he says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. So this fact is important. It is foundational. It is is a key part of our our theology, that Jesus Christ is both fully divine and fully human. Born of a woman, subject to the same trials and tests and temptations as we are in this life, yet without sin. But his his title is much more important than that he's not just a son of God. He is the son. Or a son of man he is the Son of man as, as prophesied in, in Daniel 7 He is the fulfillment of these prophecies. John Piper says he is not just human but a specific and exalted human with a specific and exalted role in history in the history of redemption and that brings us to his next title we see in, in this scripture, the name by which God Commanded his parents on earth to call him. So we give our, our kids names for many different reasons, you know, for family uh, sort of history or 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 maybe the trends of the time. With many different reasons right, that we give our 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 kids names. When God names people, He does it for a specific reason to talk about who they are, who they will be, or or what they will do. And and when He says. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the English translation. What it would have been in, in, in Hebrew is Yehoshua. It comes from, ye, from you've heard Yahweh, right? the, God, the, the way we often pronounce the, the four letters that God says is, is his name. To right? so God, the Lord Almighty. Right? And, and, and then Yeshah, which means to save Literally means, the Lord will save, or the Lord saves. This purpose that's announced before his birth is no secret to Jesus. He says in the Gospel of Mark, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus was born to save us from our sins. So Jesus is the divine Son of God. He is the exalted Son. Son of man, and he is the God who saves, right? And this brings us to the last of, the, of Christ's titles that are, are in, in these four verses. Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, other religions have got gods that you must go to. We worship Jesus of Nazareth, son of God, son of, of man, the God who saves, who is the God who comes to be with us. And God with us makes all the difference in the world. See, other other faiths, other belief systems say that that nothing is God, or everything is God, or everything is a piece of God, or or we got to go someplace, a specific place, to see God, right? Or God uh, is is inside ourselves, and we need to go inside ourselves to see God. Maybe even we are gods, or 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 the God, or, or gods, are, are distant and detached from humanity. That's not what this book says. Right? The Bible says there is a God. That, that our God is unique and specific, the one and only. That God is creator, not created. That God is everywhere, right, omnipresent. That he's greater than us. And that the one and only God who is all these things is with us. It's that last implication that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the God who saves, is God with us. Emmanuel is what Christian, uh, Christmas is all about. Right? If we really consider what this means, we may have to go, undergo a dramatic reconstruction about what Christmas means to us, our theology, maybe even our practices. If our image of, of Christmas is just this baby, right, up, up here born in a stable in, in, in Bethlehem that's, that's looked down on by these adoring, peaceful parents, right, and, 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 the, and the, the cattle are lowing and it's, it's peaceful and the, the shepherds are coming in, in quiet awe. If, not that any of that is untrue, but it's just a slice of what Christian, uh, Christmas is about. And I would argue that we miss the true meaning. We are seeing the humanness of, of Jesus for sure in that picture. We're even seeing God's gift to us uh, in, in that picture. Maybe even contemplating what it means for, for God to send his own son. But what we may be missing is that baby that's going to get laid in that feed trough, right, is God himself. We, We heard the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. The eternal one who has been present for all time, not only with God, but he himself, God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. The Bible says that he was the light that's coming into the world, right? The, The light that gives light to everyone that was coming into the world. Now, this may not be shocking to you. You may know it up here in your mind. But I think very few of us even approach a working knowledge of what that really means. I don't think that Joseph and Mary, who were told by God's messengers, really, really understood the depth Of what this meant. This baby wrapped up in swaddling cloths while fully human is also fully God Almighty, the ancient of days, the great I am, God with us. And to illustrate the difference between knowing this and and really knowing this, I'd like to tell you the story of two different foods. One is sausage and one is lemons. So the, and not just any sausage. Uh, to start off, I, you need to know that though there are things that are off my diet for health reasons, uh, I have very few food aversions. I when uh, um, and it's it's fun to have a, an Air Force buddy with me. But when I went through survival school, and they said bugs, right, and crickets, and grass, and grasshoppers, and worms, great ants. I love ants. Actually, I taught my my son how to love ants, right. <laughs> And and, and then in my travels, I have had rat and guinea pig and and, and rattlesnake and probably a lot of things that I thought were one thing that were something else. And it just doesn't bug me. I love foods like that. But in Greece, there was a local shepherd who brought me out for dinner. Actually, he didn't bring me out for dinner. That's what he told me he was doing was to bring me out for dinner. What he was bringing me to was a test of manhood. And he, taught, he brought me out to Loca Loco de Verna, which is sort of like a, a, a little restaurant, and, uh, had, uh, and ordered this special type of spleen sausage, which is a test of manhood. Uh, and I can describe to you what it looks like, what, what it, the texture is, what it smells like, and what it tastes like. Uh, I can tell you that after I ate it, how hard it was to keep a neutral expression on my face... And, and thank him, and then not slap him when he laughed and put mustard on his own, right? I, I can tell you all those things. I can tell you about how for a long time afterwards, even the thought of any food made me physically sick. Martha says I actually turned green. Right? But as, as descriptive as I've just been, you don't know what it tastes like. And if I were to eat it in front of you, you you wouldn't know, <laughs> if you were close enough to smell, you might have an idea um, <laughs> what it was like. But it's different about this, right? All of you have had a lemon, right? And, and if, I, if I take this lemon and I cut this, right, th- this, this lemon up a little bit, I cut a slice of this lemon. I, oh, some of you are already wincing, <laughs> right? Okay, and then I, I, oh yeah, the smell of a lemon, and I, and I bite into it. Some of you, your mouths are watering now, right? Your eyes are sort of closing, you're puckering. You know what that tastes like. You've experienced that before, and so when I talk about what it tastes like, I'm still puckering a little bit. You know, you, you understand it because you've experienced that, Right? There is a difference between knowing something up here and knowing it. I will argue that if we have truly experienced Emmanuel, God with us, it will impact us so much more viscerally than any bitter lemon could. And when I talk about who Emmanuel is god with us it should stir up emotions you should have that kind of effect if we look at scripture what happens when people really experience god in a personal manner four things usually happen right when people encounter the living god the first thing is that they fear right they fear god's awesomeness they get this idea of god's holiness then they repent because they, they realize their unholiness, right, in that, and, and, and their desire to turn away from that. Then they hear God's word, and sometimes there's a conversation, a response to that. And then they go out in obedience to what God commands. We see this with many people in the Old Testament, including Moses, right, who falls down in fear before God at the burning bush, it understands his unholiness in that. Take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. He hears and responds to God's word. And then, though with reluctance, right, he goes in obedience uh, to Egypt. But perhaps the most, and you've heard me say, because this part of Scripture just blows me away. It's on page 571, Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, um, I'm just going to breeze through it right now, but later on, keep your thumb here, because we're going to be back t- to this. But in Isaiah chapter six, I think it's the clearest example in the Old Testament. In verses one through four, Isaiah has a vision of God's glory. In verse five, we see is immediately struck with repentance, understands his own unholiness, and then he hears and responds to God, and then he goes out to speak in His name in obedience. So if Jesus is the same God, and we are in his presence, because he is Emmanuel, God with us, we must also fear and repent and hear and go. And when I say fear Jesus, because he is God with us, fear and Jesus are probably not words that most people associate together. Like me, you probably grew up with the popular de- depictions of Jesus, right? He's smiling or looking with a, a, this expression of gentleness. He has a beard that flows much better than mine. He's got nice, long, flowing hair, probably pretty fair skinned, uh, w- wearing a, uh, these clean robes, right, and speaking words of comfort. And God, Jesus, again, He's God with us. He is that gentle God, right? The one who, who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And yet, our God is a fearsome, powerful, right, awesome God. And to know that Jesus is that God and that he, is something, that he is with us should remind us that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We may say that we fear him, but do we really? Is, is our fear something we just say rather than what we experience. God warns us through the prophet Isaiah again against fearing him only because of a commandment that is taught by men. True fear of, of Jesus, our God, is not saying that we fear him, but coming to the realization that he is God Almighty and that he is here with us. The book of Revelation, when John sees Jesus not in this humble humanity that he walked the earth in but in a vision of Jesus in his glory as God almighty he describes him in terms of fear eyes like flames of fire feet like burnished bronze right refined in the furnace his voice was like the roar of many waters in, in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a double edged sword his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It's no wonder that when John saw this, he, just like Isaiah, right, he falls down. It says in, in Revelation it says, he fell at his feet as though dead. So do you fear Jesus like this? Be, or do you fear him because of a commandment taught by fallible men like me? Or do you fear him because you have encountered the Son of God? Great I am, the first and the last. The the living one who died and yet is alive evermore. The one who has the key, the keys to death and hell. Have you personally met the one and only lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy? Because if we have the fear that comes only through a personal and real experience with the living Christ, the, the, the living God, through a realization of his perfect holiness, we find ourselves brought to the understanding that because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, and that he is perfectly holy, the next thing we understand is that we are not holy. And that should drive us to repent. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And many of us have, have memorized that, right? Romans Romans 3.23. We've memorized that. We've got this in our minds. And we say, of course, I've got no argument. I've sinned, right? Maybe not murder or anything bad like that, but, but, but I, I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I, I've been unfaithful, I've said mean things, I've, I've gossiped, I've, I've failed to forgive. We say, yeah, I've sinned. That, that makes sense to me. And many of us acknowledge, at least in our minds, that there's a penalty for that. Again, we, we probably memorized Romans 6.23. It starts off for the wages of sin is death. And we go, yeah, of course, it is. But if we have come face to face with God with us, Emmanuel, and, and, and come to truly fear him as the, the one living, true God, then sin isn't something we just acknowledge the existence of or acknowledge the penalties from. It is something that undoes us. So Isaiah chapter 6, where I told you to keep your thumbs, verse 5. He says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of, uh, of hosts. <clears throat> there is no reason to think from the Bible that Isaiah was a murderer, or an adulterer, or 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 someone who did the big, you know, the real sins right? He is Isaiah, right? He is the man of God. He's the prophet of God. He is the advisor to the king. And this is what he confesses. This is what undoes him. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I have failed to glorify God for who he is, as he deserves, And I have spoken things that I shouldn't. That's what undoes Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am lost. James later agrees with him. In, instead of using the, the words lips, he uses the word tongue. And he says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Woe is me, for I am lost. This is why Jesus starts his earthly ministry by saying, Repent! The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, not just acknowledge that we're sinners, separated from God and our creator, worthy of only death and hell, the hell that has set not just our tongues on fire, but our bodies, right? Our very passions, right? Our, our, our sinful desires, our prideful ambitions. No, repenting of our sins means to grieve them. The Bible calls us to be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to, uh, to mourning and your joy to gloom. We need to recognize that we are dead in our trespasses. In, in, the, in, in the leading up to, uh, um, to this commissioning, I was asked in the, in the council where I had to uh, answer questions, are we, before we come to Christ, are we drowning in our sins or are we drowned? And I believe the correct answer is we are drowned. We are dead in our sins. We're not even struggling until we come to face to face with him. That's why Paul grieves his losing battle with sinful flesh. Right? He cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? That is the beginning of repentance, the mark of someone who has truly met Emmanuel, the son of God, the son of man, the the God who saves God with us. It is an understanding of his holiness and our sinfulness. It is a wretched state. a a hopeless and miserable it would be if that were the end of repentance, right? Grieving our lostness and sin with no way of redemption. But praise be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that while this is the beginning of repentance, it is not the end of it. For having beheld Emmanuel, God with us, and fearing his holiness, repenting with mourning, our slavery to our lusts of the eyes, the lusts of the flesh, our pride of life, is what the Bible calls it. We turn away from that, and we turn toward the good news, the gospel of Emmanuel, God with us. And so the, the Bible says that the one who hears... Right? Uh, and, and, or, or meets God Almighty and fears right? and repents and turns to Jesus Christ, our, our, our Savior, God with us, it says this in Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, raised up, Uh, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything we've done, but by his mercy. Just as the Lord sent uh, the angel, right the seraphim, up to to Isaiah to, to sear his sinful lips, take away his guilt, to atone for his sin, our Lord sends Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, to take away our guilt and to atone for our sins you believe that, hear what God is saying to you. Through Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, the God who saves you, God with us. Come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Be reconciled to your brother. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Do not be anxious about this life. Do not be anxious about uh, about your body. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. I have said all these things to you that in me you might have peace. Do not fear those who kill the body. I'll say do not fear that which kills the body either. This God with us whom we are to fear to whom we are to repent, calls out for us to come to him, to follow him, to be reconciled to him, to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters through him, to leave our anxieties before him, and to find peace in his security in this world that threatens it. And then having called us to him, God with us, Emmanuel, sends us out. He says, let your light so shine before others that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Because when we meet Jesus, whether at the stable in Bethlehem or, or, or down at Fat Dan's in, in Loudoun, right, uh, beside a bedside or, or a dinner table, a subway, an office, a school, a street corner, wherever you meet him, and you realize that he's not just a baby in a manger, an image painted on a wall, some idea that's abstract, but that he is instead the living Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. When you are struck by the fear of his holy presence and, the, and struck by your own unholiness, driven to repentance by the magnitude of them and pierced by his word, you will go out in obedience to his commands. We won't go out somehow thinking that our works will earn salvation or, or maybe a better form of salvation for us. Uh, It's already been paid for in full. But it will be the natural outpouring of our faith. Again, going back to James, he says, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What it means to go out in obedience to God's command will look different to all sorts of people. It looked different to the people in the Bible. Hebrews 11, and I encourage you to read through that uh, this week. Just read through Hebrews 11, see all the different ways that men and women were faithful to God in the Old Testament. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, uh, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and others, Hebrews says, even more. Yet the writer of Hebrews says that for all the wondrous things God worked through those people, commending them in their faith, they did not have what we have. They could only look forward to the promised coming of Emmanuel, right? God with us. How much more might God be calling us to, if we have Emmanuel with us? Hear the next verse of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and He's talking about those from chapter eleven, all those that I read and more. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, every race, every journey starts with that first step. And what step of faith might God be calling you to today? At the beginning of the sermon, I, I mentioned four groups of people. If you are here as an atheist denying the, the existence of God, you might be c- being called to pause and reconsider. I mean, if he doesn't exist, what does it matter? Take a time. Look around you. Hear the thunder. Take in the mountains. Watch the gathering clouds. Contemplate the intricacies of this world. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Or maybe you're wondering if the Bible is true. It, is the God that, that this book describes truly the sovereign God of God, Lord of Lord, King of Kings or maybe you think it might be true right? but you have a hard time understanding about how Jesus could be truly the God with us that he says he is so this Christmas would you take that step of faith to let one of us hear your reservations and your questions will you let us introduce you to the real Jesus of Nazareth the one we believe is the son of God, the son of man, the God who saves, and Emmanuel, God with us. And if you're one of us who gets those questions, would you remember to make your answer with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. Finally, for for all of us who have truly met and received Emmanuel, our great God and Savior, when was the last time you truly beheld the glory of God. Like, really? Like, it made you fall on your face, tremble, right? I've been in Job 37 a lot, which my, par- my, my kids will be happy that I've not been in Job 38 lately, but, but Job 37, and, and, and Elihu starts off the first thing, he says, at this also, my heart trembles and leaps out of its place, When was the last time that you did that? When was the last time you considered the weight of sin which clings so closely and repented from it and turned to look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith? Would you take a step of faith this week? Step back from the hustle of all that we call Christmas in this world and listen to God in prayer and scripture by yourself. And then do it with somebody else. Hear how he expresses the true meaning of Christmas through the person of Jesus Christ. Again, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the God who saves us from our sins. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Let's pray. At this also, my, my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. Mm. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the roaring that comes out of his mouth. Mm. Under the whole heavens, he lets it go. And his lightnings to the corners of Lord, may we truly understand who we stand before. Your son is you. God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And may we shake, tremble before you in the realization of how unholy we are. And then, like Josh says, know that we have the privilege to come to you in the middle of the night. As we've heard, that only a son, or daughter of the king, can wake him up at 3 a.m. And we not stand outside the door, but walk into it, trembling, but in joy, knowing that you desire us to come to you. And we truly experience you. Know you, not in just in our minds but know you in in our very souls and may that drive us to hear you and to go out in obedience to your commands we pray this all in the name of your son jesus christ amen heavy sermon we're going to end with joyful joyful because we this ought to be a sermon of joy